You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. with us because we're starting this new series today. And uh, so I hope that you'll uh, come back and enjoy the rest of the series, learn a lot from it. Uh, we are, uh, the South Bay Church is part of a family of churches uh, around our area called the Coastal LA Region. That, that's the, uh, let's say goodbye to the junior high. Bye junior high and preteens. They don't want to listen to this boring lesson. They're going to have a fun junior high lesson. Um, so we're part of a, of a family of churches around our area called the Coastal LA Region. And we work together as a staff with ministers from the church in Long Beach, the church in the West Side, and our Latin ministries. And so this idea of this series came from uh, my friend Ruben Deanda, who leads the church in Long Beach. He found this uh, series online. Uh, so if you look online for this a beautiful design, you'll find it's a church called the Village Church in, uh, in Texas that did this series. They did 10 weeks. We're just doing five. We kind of boiled it down a little bit. Uh, we're a little shorter of attention than they are, I guess. Uh, but if you want more, you can go there and check those, those, uh, those lessons out. We're kind of making it our own. So I'm sharing my own stories and kind of doing my own way. But feel free. I wanted to let you know where this came from. But really, this series is all about God as a designer and what that means for us, specifically as men and women. And uh, the original design that God had in the beginning for men and women. Uh, I don't know about you, I'm a big fan of design. I was an art major in college for a time, and uh, I like to paint, I like to design. I do a lot of the design work for our church here. And so, you know, there's something attractive about good design. I'm also frustrated by bad design. How about you guys? Uh, Anybody ever experienced this? Yeah, it's, it's everything about the design is telling you to pull, and there's this little bitty sign that says push, right? And you're like, uh, uh, and then you finally see the sign. And you're like, oh, and you're just frustrated because the design is bad. Here's, here's one that's the opposite. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's, there's all, kinds of, all kinds of bad design out there. This is, uh, this is actually a, uh, a, 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 this is an actual bathroom. <laughs> I don't know who thought that was a good idea. Either one of those. This is an actual product on Amazon uh, for, for your, uh, your addicted, you know, technology addicted toddler, I guess, uh, to be able to go to the bathroom. You know, there's some that, that, there's some that seem like bad design, but maybe aren't as bad of an idea. Like if, uh, if you want to take your goldfish for a walk, this is a guy's famous for being able to take your goldfish for a walk. This is a... Uh, a multi-tool uh, for gardening. I can't imagine how much that thing weighs. But you're ready. You're, you're ready for whatever you need. If you, you know, and you have a cold, you just have the sniffles. <laughs> That's actually kind of appealing, you know, when you're at that stage. It usually lasts about one or two days where you're just, it's like a faucet, you know. It, just, it would be nice to just continually just have... A roll right there. There's a few others of these that seem like they, they might be actually helpful. Like if you're trying to, for the women, trying to eat noodles and your hair keeps going in the noodles. That is designed to keep your hair out of the noodles. This for the guys, uh, you know. 
if you'd like to be able to make your, your tie a little more utilitarian, you know, this is a, actually a pretty cool idea. Be able to carry some stuff around in, in your tie. <laughs> there was another one that was a tie that you can turn into a pillow. You, can, you kind of blow it up and then you can sleep. <laughs> if you're in those long meetings, exactly. This is, uh, you probably can't tell from the pictures, so I'm going to explain it to you. This is an alarm clock, and the snooze button is right in the middle, surrounded by sharp spikes. So it, so it helps train you not to keep hitting that snooze button. It's kind of a good idea. All right, this one is, okay. All the moms are clapping because they realize this already happens anyway. So might as well, you know, make use of the kid crawling everywhere to clean up the, you know, to mop. So there's all kinds of, of elements of, of bad design. Uh, God is a good designer. You know, there, there's, we all have, have uh, our good design products we like. I mean, I like Apple products. I'll admit it. Uh, I do like Apple products, you know. I like this. I'm preaching from this iPad. I remember this is a few years old. This is probably five years old. But when this came out, it was like, it's Star Trek. You know what I mean? For real. This is so awesome. But, uh, but we all love a good design. And, and the Bible teaches that God is the one that designed the universe. God is the one that put it all together. And uh, the very beginning of the Bible starts, we probably have all heard this before. This is the very beginning passage of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. That there was nothing, and then there was something, and it was all put together by God. And the cool thing is that science is continually discovering more and more about this. And it used to be that those who tried to deny the existence of God would say, all the universe has always been, and it's always been this way. And yet they were proved wrong by science, that, that everything, all laws of nature, all space, all matter, all time, all had a beginning. And there was a huge revolutionary discovery about that beginning uh, that happened in 1998 that you might not even be aware of. I'm going to save that because I want to show you something else and I don't want it to be too much like a science class. And if I try to do too much, you're going to be like, oh man, this is boring. So just one, one science-y thing here. Uh, but, but as God created all of this, he put his mind into the creation. And so what is, what, what is confounding to scientists is that everything has so much order and, and so much predictability and that there's these laws that are everywhere. And I, I saw this, uh, recently watched this Nova on, uh, on, online on pbs.org. You can find it if you want. It's called uh, the, mis- the Great Math Mystery. And, and what the Great Math Mystery is, because science nowadays, it didn't used to be this way, but nowadays it starts with the presupposition that there is no God. It's like, let's just assume there's no God, and then we want to try to come up with natural laws for everything. But that leads them into strange places, because the more they dig, the more they find God. And so this, 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 uh, this particular episode, it's like all these scientists don't, I don't get it. Why is there so much order to the universe? Why is math, why you, you dig and you find math is, is there? And it was, it was cool. It was explained well by a, uh, by a scientist. I want to show you a, a clip from the episode. It's about four minutes long, and then we'll, we'll kind of keep going. Pi is but one example of a vast interconnected web of mathematics that seems to reveal an often hidden and deep order to our world. Physicist Max Tegmark from MIT 
thinks he knows why. He sees similarities between our world and that of a computer game. If I were a character in a computer game that were so advanced that I were actually conscious and I started exploring my video game world, it would actually feel to me like it was made of real solid objects, made of physical stuff. Yet, if I started studying as the curious physicist that I am, the properties of this stuff, the equations by which things move, and the equations that, that give the, the stuff its properties, I would discover eventually that all these properties were, were mathematical. The mathematical properties that the programmer had actually put into the software that describes everything. The laws of physics in a game, like how an object floats, bounces, or crashes, are only mathematical rules created by a programmer. Ultimately, the entire universe of a computer game is just numbers and equations. That's exactly what I perceive in this reality, too, as a physicist, that the closer I look at things that seem non-mathematical, like my arm here and my hand, the more mathematical it turns out to be. Could it be that our world also, then, is, is really just as mathematical as the computer game reality? To Max, the software world of a game isn't that different from the physical world we live in. He thinks that mathematics works so well to describe reality because ultimately, mathematics is all that it is. There's nothing else. Many of my physics colleagues will say that mathematics describes our physical reality, at least in some approximate sense. I go further and, and argue that it actually is our physical reality, because I'm arguing that our physical world doesn't just have some mathematical properties, but it has only mathematical properties. Our physical reality is a bit like a digital photograph, according to Max. The photo looks like the pond, but as we move in closer and closer, we can see it is really a field of pixels, each represented by three numbers that specify the amount of red, green, and blue. While the universe is vast in its size and complexity, requiring an unbelievably large collection of numbers to describe it, Max sees its underlying mathematical structure as surprisingly simple. It's just 32 numbers, constants, like the masses of elementary particles, along with a handful of mathematical equations, the fundamental laws of physics. And it all fits on a wall, though there are still some questions. But even though we don't know what exactly is going to go here, I'm really confident that what will go here will be mathematical equations, that everything is ultimately mathematical. All right, so I don't know if you enjoyed that as much as I did, but here's why I think that's so... Here's why I think it's so cool, is that when you boil the universe down, it, it, it's all a mind. You know, it's all the product of mind. And so that's what is, it, it, it is, like I said, it's confounding to scientists, is how can everything really boil down to a mind? 
And I just think that's so cool that God in the beginning created the heavens and earth and it's evidenced by his creation itself. And that, isn't that what the Bible teaches? That when you, the more you look into creation, the more you see the fingerprint of God and what he made and how he designed it. And those 32 numbers that he mentioned are so precise and so specific that they, they, they describe the, the universe with a, a term called the anthropic principle. And what that means is that it looks like, if you look at the universe, it looks like it's designed for us to be here. And if you look at the universe, it looks like it was fine-tuned. You can just Google that term, fine-tuned universe. It looks so fine-tuned. And so for, for, for atheistic uh, scientists, it bothers them because why is it so fine-tuned? So the only explanation they have these days that they go to again and again is, well, there must be an infinite number of universes, and we happen to be in the one that has all 32 numbers just perfect so that you can have mass and you can have you know, the universe and we can be here. We just happen to be in that one. You know that, and, but there's no, there's no evidence of those other universes because by definition they can't be observed. But that must be the definition because we start with the idea that there is no God. You know, that, that takes more faith, doesn't it, than just going, okay, this universe looks designed. Hello, there is a designer. And so what that, amen, amen. Thanks, Brian. We're clapping for God, not for the point. Uh, so what that means for us, what does that have to do with us? Well, if you go through the rest of the Genesis record, and, it, and it's a cool record. It's not a scientific journal. The book of Genesis, you know, Moses lived 3,500 years ago. He's uh, the one that Genesis is attributed to. He was probably drawing on oral things that were passed on to him. God revealed how the universe was made, but to the mind of an observer. Like I imagine, you know, Moses sort of saw it happen as an observer on earth. So when you look at the book of Genesis, it's, it's, it's seeing things be created, but from the perspective of somebody on earth, an observer on earth. It's phenomenolog phenomenologically written. In other words, like we use terms like sunset or sunrise, even though we know the sun is not really setting or really rising. So people point to things like that and say the, the Bible is not scientifically accurate. Well, it wasn't written to be a science textbook. It was just written to say God is the one that did it all. And isn't he amazing? And when you read the record, it ends with humans. It ends with us. And so let's skip there. Go ahead and turn there in your Bible if you would. It continues and says that it concludes with verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God makes, decides that all of this is all leading up to something. And that something is humans. That something is mankind. And that's what you see in the fossil record. That's what science will tell us as well. You know, and according to the timelines of science, we've only been here a very short time on this earth. And so there's all this stuff that leads up to us. Now, they'll use that to argue that we are very insignificant because we just got here. I use that to argue to say we are very significant because it took a huge universe and it took all this time for God to bring humans to existence. That means we're really special to me. You know, if you put a lot of time and a lot of energy into something, isn't that special? Anybody have a, 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 a baby under two? Uh, okay, so you guys still remember all that goes into having a baby. There is a lot of stuff you buy. 
And there's a lot of preparation that goes on. A lot of times, you know, you'll see the new parents and they have all of this stuff. They've got this stroller and this add-on to the stroller and this pack and play and the whole car is full of stuff. And there's this tiny little baby. <laughs> because, you, need, you know, that, makes the, that doesn't make the baby less special. It makes the baby more special. You have all this stuff, for the, all the accessories for this special little baby. That's the way human beings are. And so God, who is in essence mind put all his energy into bringing forth us, bringing forth minds, bringing forth people who are made in his image. Now, now there's uh, something interesting about the word that's used there for created. So that word created, uh, the Greek word, or the Hebrew word rather, is bahra. That means out of nothing. So God created us, our human being, our human nature, out of nothing. He created the, this, these minds that are like his. Now, this is a little bit of a contrast to what it says in chapter 2. In chapter 2, it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. This word is yatsar, which means to form out of existing materials. What that means to me is that there's a difference between who we are as humans, we're made out of nothing, and then our bodies, which are, are like the animals in a lot of ways. That's another thing science will do is try to say, well, we're just, we're just smart apes. We're just like the animals. And there's a lot we share with the animals. But there's something that makes us uniquely human, right? That we all understand. Dolphins are really smart and amazing. But dolphins don't make art. And they don't create culture. And they don't ponder their existence. And they don't, you know, they're not like, they're not humans. There's something that makes us uniquely human. And that is, I like this passage in Ecclesiastes. It says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to the end. So we're kind of a, a dichotomy. We're kind of a, of a paradox in that we are, we are of the earth. We are formed from the dust of the earth. And yet we have eternity set in our hearts. We're made in His image. So there's part of us that yearns for eternity. There's part of us that wants to know God, that wants to understand God, that, that wants to understand the universe, that wants to live forever. And yet we can't quite get there. Right? It says you, eternity is in our heart, yet we can't fathom who God is and what He really does. And so that, 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 that is, a, is a tension that is meant to lead us to God and to have a relationship with God and to ultimately be with Him forever. But while we're here, you, you sent, see from this verse, there's going to be some tension, right? As we are human beings, but we're also animal in nature. So there's going to be a, 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 a battle going on. And, and the Bible talks about this, like our flesh versus our spiritual nature, that we're battling. And so what God wants to call out of us is that, that part of us that's in His likeness. And He wants us to, to be like Him. He's made everything beautiful in its time, He says. God made you beautiful. God made you in His image. And this idea that we are made in the image of God is, uh, you know, that, that is something that we all understand in, in that, how many of you guys like to draw or paint? Okay, a few of you. Uh, how many like to do crafts? Okay, a few of you. Uh, some, some of the guys, I saw a guy back there. How many of you guys like to do photography? Okay. How many of you like to do, how many of you guys barbecue? Okay, there's the guys. All right. So there's something within us that wants to create, that wants to cultivate. How many of you guys like to do, or girls, like to do fantasy football? All right, so there's some guys. 
So fantasy, you know, th that's cultivating, that's creating, that's, that's being like God. There's part of us that wants to create, that wants to design. My kids will spend hours and hours and hours on this game that has the worst graphics you've ever seen called what? Minecraft. I mean, it, the, the graphics are like, oh, that looks like something from the 80s, right? Because, but, but why do they love it so much? Because they're creating. They're, they create these entire worlds that they design and put all together. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. Some of us like to garden. I saw this uh, on, on Instagram uh, posted by The Onion. The, the, the caption says, Full summer of tending backyard garden produces single edible cherry tomato. <laughs> My daughter and I just bought some tomatoes. Some, we're planting tomatoes uh, yesterday. I hope, it, I hope we do better than this. But we were made in the image of God. We, we, we are like Him in our human nature, in that part of us that it has a soul, the, the divine part of us. And this has meant a lot in human history. I mean, this idea that we are in His image, this is part of the formation of our country, right? The Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, right? And it's all about being in the image of God. That, that idea that we, we are made in His image, it's, it's known as the Imago Dei. And, and that has, has had huge impact in our society and in our culture. And it, it's the, it, the end of slavery was brought about by this idea that we're all equal in the, in the eyes of God. The civil rights movement was all about this. Uh, you know, the current, the, the Black Lives Matter movement. It's, it's hey, we're all the same. We, de we deserve to have the equal rights because we're all made in his image. And that's really, I mean, I, I appreciate social movements and social justice but I see that fulfilled in the, in the most complete way in the kingdom of God. And we'll, we'll talk about that here in a minute. But human life is precious. And any and every human brother, every, any and every human being is a brother or sister. That's what it means. It's how we treat each other. So in our church, you know, th this means that within the, the fellowship, there aren't differences. There's not a clergy laity. It's not like, oh, I'm on staff, so I'm better than you. And I get to tell you. I'm just one of you. I just get to do this full time, which is amen. I'm so thankful I get to do that. And I, I appreciate the support of, of people that allow that to happen. But we're, there's not a, we're all just the same, right? We're all just disciples of Jesus. We're all saints, the Bible says. Uh, you know, this is St. Brian right here, if you didn't know. <laughs> and St. Betty. And St. Paul. St. Paul kind of sounds right. Uh, but we're all saints, right? We're all a royal priesthood, the Bible says. We're all the same. And, and so there, aren't, there are no socioeconomic, uh, there should be no barriers. You know, it's not like, okay, if you're wealthy, you get to sit up here. And if you're poor, you sit in the back. Or, you know, none of that stuff. We're all, it, that even just sounds so awful, right? Because this is the kingdom of God. We're all the same. We're equal partners. We help each other out. There's no hierarchy. There's a, the Bible uses the human body analogy that every part of your body is important. Even the parts that seem like they're not important, they're really important. Uh, if you've ever gotten, a, you know, a, if you've ever really stubbed your, your pinky toe so bad, you know, you know how that pinky toe is important to you. Because <laughs> you put it in your shoe, you're like, ah! Oh! You, you know, you might think the pinky toe doesn't matter. The pinky toe matters. Every part of the body matters. Within the church, in, in dating... You know, this is huge. The Imago Dei that made in his image, this is huge because this means we treat each other with dignity and respect in the kingdom. And, and so women are not objectified. Women are not an object for our pleasure, men. 
You know, they are equal partners. They're, they're in the image of God. They're sisters. We treat them with purity. We treat them with respect. Dating in the church is awesome. Marriage in the church is awesome because we're equal partners. We have different roles, and that's what we're going to be talking about in the weeks ahead is how men and women are different in our roles, but we're totally equal. We're both made in the image of God. Uh, we have discipling relationships in our church where we, everybody here that's a member, we get with somebody, we just talk about how we're doing. But the cool thing about discipling is it's not like, okay, I can only learn from him and him. I can learn from anybody here. And you can learn from anybody here. Everybody here has something to give. You can learn something from every person here. And that's what I love about the Imago Dei. And this is really what separates us from the world, is this idea that we believe this and we, we base our lives on this, that we're all made in His image. Because Jesus, in, in Matthew 25, He says, what separates the sheep from the goats? And we're not going to look at the story, but I encourage you to look at it on your own if you're not familiar with it. At the end of the age, Jesus will say, the sheeps are over here and they're mine, and the goats are over here and they're of the world. And what separates them is the way that they treat people, the way that they view other human beings. And uh, I like what this author, Joshua Ryan Butler, has to say about this. He says, Jesus identifies with the vulnerable. How we treat them is how we treat him. But this has a flip side. When a deadbeat dad walks away from his child, he walks away from Jesus. When the cheerleader overlooks the girl sitting alone at lunch, she overlooks the Savior of the world. When the rich man ignores Lazarus, he ignores the presence of God. The Imago Dei means how we treat one another matters. In fact, it's of eternal consequence. But not only does he say he makes us in the image of God, he says he creates us male and female. God chose to make us different. God chose to have gender in, in, in the way that he made human beings. He didn't have to do it that way. We could be like earthworms or like snails or like you know, other things. There's just a human being. And then we just clone ourselves or whatever. But he decided to make us male and female. And that's a beautiful and wonderful thing. That's a beautiful design. And so in the weeks ahead in this series, we're going to be talking about some of the things that make us different. What does it mean to be a man in terms of God's kingdom and God's perspective? What does it mean to be a woman in terms of God's perspective and God's kingdom? And this is important in our world today because there is a lot of gender confusion. And, and the lines are, are being blurred, and it's, it's, it's confusing, and there's a lot of stuff in the, in the news about it, and, and you know, there's uh, men marrying men, and women marrying women, and there's you know, people changing, and people, you know, this is just one example, Mount Holyoke College. And before I read this, I want to say, uh, we have to be careful as we talk about this stuff, because this might not be an issue for you, but it, it might be an issue for the person next to you. And it's going to become more and more and more of an issue for people in our culture. So we have to be careful. Don't, don't like, just because you don't have a particular struggle, don't judge somebody else because they have a different struggle, right? So we have to, we have to treat, this, this is not snickering, snorting, giggling kind of material, okay? So I just wanted to say that. If, if anybody, if, if the church is going to be anything, it needs to be a safe place for people to really come to work out gender issues, uh, those that are sexually broken, those that have just baggage. That's who the church is supposed to help, is those that need the most help. So we got to be careful. So this is um, a list of who can apply to this Mount, Hol Mount Holyoke College. It's a, it's a women's college. And so this is from their document. It says the following can apply. Biologically female identifies as female. 
Biologically female identifies as a man. Biologically female identifies as other slash they. Biologically female does not identify as either a woman or a man. Biologically male identifies as female. Biologically female identifies as other slash they if the other slash they includes the female identity. Biologically both male female anatomy identifies as a woman. And, and then what happens if you change your mind? Well, they have that in their laws as well. You know, what to do if you change your mind. Now, I just read that to say, this is kind of where the world is. It's, it's confused. And, and so, uh, you know, in the church, we need to be able to help bring clarity. What was God's initial design? What was God's plan in a way that's respectful and in a way that's loving and, uh, and in a way that deals with... Uh, the individual. I think that's the thing that we have to be careful of, that we don't deal with things in terms of policies and, uh, you know, everybody out there, you know, blanket statements. Jesus loved the individual. That's what I love about the story in John 8, where the woman is caught in adultery and is brought to Jesus to be stoned, and the law claimed that she needed to be stoned. And so all these religious men are gathered around to see what Jesus is going to do. Did they care about the woman at all? No, they were using her as a tool to try to get Jesus tripped up. They didn't even, it doesn't even say her name. She was just an object. She was just a tool for their, uh, for, for their kind of thing they were trying to do with, with Jesus. And I love that Jesus looks and deals with her. He, he, he won't even look anybody else in the eye. He just, he leans down and writes in the ground until they're gone. And then he deals with her as an individual. And that's what we've got to do with this stuff. We've got to deal with people as an individual. Because this stuff is difficult to deal with. You know, um, my first experience with this kind of stuff was in high school. And, uh, you know, I had a friend in high school my, my junior year that uh, was hanging out with a lot. And uh, we had several classes together. I was giving him a ride to school every day. We spent a lot of time together. And, uh, you know, he had a girlfriend... Uh, he was very, like, physical with this girlfriend in the halls of school and stuff like that. I was um, a part of the church, trying to reach out to him. We would have different, you know, discussions about different things and argue about baptism and stuff like that. But anyway, this one time, I was at his house, and he started asking me some weird questions, and then he, uh, he, he revealed that he was, was attracted to me. And he thought maybe I was attracted to him. And, and I was like... You know, that's not, I'm not attracted to men. You know, I'm like, I'm, I know I'm, uh, whatever, I don't have a girlfriend right now, but that's because I'm a Christian, you know. Uh, and uh, so, and he, he read, it was weird. I mean, he read from this journal that was about me and, uh, you know, it was really weird. And so, but in that moment, it's one of those moments where you're like in molasses, you know, and the world is kind of, oh, you know. But I just tried to just, I just shared with them. I felt so great that I could just share with them about God and about love of, of Christ and about the church and about people I knew from church that were from a homosexual background that had become disciples and who were uh, still, you know, dealing with same-sex attraction or still dealing with things, just like we all deal with things, you know. I deal with my anger. I, I am, I was born this way angry, you know what I mean? Like, like. And so I have to deal with that born this way part of me, you know, like uh, we all have issues. Some of us, it might be substance abuse. Some of us, it might be whatever, but we all have issues in the way that we grew up or the way that we were born or the baggage from our past or whatever. And so I just shared with him and, and he was like, you know, 
at, he was tender at that moment. It was like, wow, that's really amazing that, you know, you have those kinds of connections at church and people are able to be real with you about that and I don't have anything like that. But then, you know, he just shut me out of his life completely and he, you know, didn't have anything to do with me. He started to really treat me like a jerk. And it was weird because there was all these emotions that came with that because he was a really good friend. And so I remember crying because of the loss of the friendship. And, uh, and so I just share that story to say th- this is complicated material that we have to be careful that we, we love people. And, and we, we walk people through this stuff and, and we help them and lead them to Christ. And we don't, I mean, I, I heard that there was a, one of our teens, uh, I, don't, I don't even know which one, but was told by one of her friends uh, from, an, from another church that, you know, they were told in her church that God hates gays, and so we got to hate gays. And, you know, that, that is not, God loves gays, right? God loves everybody. And so, uh, you know, we, this has got to be the, the place to be able to, to, to wrestle with this kind of stuff. But the one thing I want you to take away today, as we, we're going to dig more into it, is that God, you can trust your Creator's design. Because the world teaches different things. Like, here's what the world says. This is from James R. Mahalik at Boston College. What they said, he did a, uh, a survey. What do women need to do to conform to female norms? So this is the top answers in our country. Uh, women need to be nice. They need to be thin. They need to be modest. They need to use all available resources for appearance. That's women. So your option is... What does God teach about what it means to be a woman of God? Or what does the world teach about what it means to be a woman? You know, I don't want my daughter, I don't want that to be her standard. I want her to trust her creator's design, that God created her and he has a plan. He has a design for her. Uh, He asked what the men, what do men need to do to conform to male norms? And here are the top answers uh, in our country. Always show emotional control. The primacy of work. Nothing's more important than work. The pursuit of status and violence. That's what it means to be a guy. Slap some other people around. Yeah, uh, Elaine said, put those two together and what do you get? There's issues, right? There's issues. I don't want that for my kids. I want them to know God. Because what the Bible teaches this is a great verse in First uh, John. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. See, as I was mentioning, there's this contrast between the animal nature between worldliness and the image of God. There's this contrast between the temporary and what passes away and the eternal. And throughout Jesus' teachings, he's pointing us to the eternal. He's pointing us to the nature of God. He's pointing us to to who God is and what God wants. I don't want what comes from the the world. I want what comes from the Father. And so I'm going to trust my Creator's design. Uh, You know, I, I, I got together with a guy this last week who was sharing with me, he's not a part of the church anymore, he used to be, and he was sharing with me about why he left the church, and he said, you know, that there was all these things he wanted to experience. He's like, I love the church, I love the people, but I just felt like I was missing out. I wanted to go out and experience some of this stuff that I knew I wouldn't experience if I stayed in the church. If I stayed a Christian, I wouldn't have these different experiences. And, uh, 
and, and I, I told them, you know, I'm like, I grew up in the church. I became a disciple in the teen ministry. My wife is the first person I ever had sex with. Uh, we've been married 22 and a half years. Um, we were pure before we got married. Uh, I didn't, uh, yes, first and only. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, first, <laughs> thank you. But I told him, I do not feel like I missed out on anything at all. And the older I get, the more I feel that way. The more other people I counsel, the more other lives I get involved in, the more I feel like, oh, thank you, Jesus. It's not about me and, oh, I'm so this and that because I, I kept myself from marriage. It, I was just in a good place. I was in the kingdom of God and I was protected by my teen ministry and my parents and the world. And, I was, and some of you are like, oh, man, I wish that was, well, pass it on to your kids. That's the experience your kids can have. But I'm telling you that I, do not, I did not miss out on anything I told him. I'm so grateful that my wife and I have a great intimate relationship. We have great communication. We have a great marriage. It's, we, we don't have to work on it a lot in terms of, I mean, we're both sinful or whatever, but, but we don't have all this baggage that comes from all this worldly stuff. And I, I'm just like, I'm so glad that I didn't experience that stuff. And, and the way I, I liken it to is, is the manufacturer's directions that come with a product. You know, you always get a product that comes with all these manufacturer's directions. And, you know, especially some of the guys here probably have been tempted to be like, well, I know it says that, but I'm going to do this, you know. But that never goes well. There's a reason that you have those manufacturer's directions. It's because they're the ones that design the product, and they know what's going to make it work, and they know what's going to break it. And so that's really what God's Word is. It's His manufacturer's directions. He's the one that designed us. He's the one that created us, male and female, and put the Spirit of God and it made us in His image. He knows what's going to make us thrive. He knows what's going to give us satisfaction in life and fulfillment. And so why would we go, well, I know God says this, but I feel like I'm going to miss out, so I'm going to try this over here. I really don't think God is trying to keep anything from us. I think it's that God made us and He knows what's going to bring us the most fulfillment eternally. And so that's why we got to trust our Creator's design. Trust what He did, d- d- did in our life. Trust His plan. And so if you're visiting with us, I really encourage you to find out more about God and, and what His plan is and who the person of Jesus is. Because the most amazing thing is that God came to earth as a human and showed us what life's all about. And so when you look at what, who Jesus is and what He taught and what it means to follow Him, that's where your, your eyes will be totally wide opened and you'll be blown away by Jesus and who he was and so if you don't know him if you've never really read the Bible much I really encourage you to get together with somebody else here in the in the church and just get the Bible open and read the Bible connect to a group of people here don't just you know keep coming and just sort of slipping out the back but make some connections here and because something happens when you get together with other people and you get the Bible open it's, it's really amazing uh, for those of you who've been a part of the church a long time or you know our members here I really encourage you to to examine this, are you trusting your Creator's design? Or is there some way you're kind of trying to buck His plan? Something you're kind of holding on to and going, well, God, everything but this. You know, or I'll do it your way except this. You know, you've got to make that decision to surrender and trust Him and delight and enjoy and flourish in His plan for you. He wants to bless you. I don't mean He just wants to make you rich and have everything go easy. But he wants to fulfill your life. He wants to give you real relationships. He wants to heal the parts of you that are broken. He wants to give you a, a secure future in him. And he wants to take you to heaven to be with you forever. And so, uh, you know, enjoy that. Enjoy who, what he's doing and what he's creating in your life. 
We're going to close with singing a song here together that's kind of about this, about how we get stuck in these, in these places in life where we don't know what God is doing, and then we realize that He is doing something beautiful. He's working a, a, a beautiful creation in us. And uh, so we'll sing the song to close out, and then Dustin's going to come up and lead our thoughts in communion. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.